Welcome back to the Taiku Podcast. Chris and Chris are with me. Hello. Hi, everyone. And we are on our uh, last, uh, the last legs of this Kurosawa journey. Um, I um, I think I'm going to do two more, or we're going to do two more podcasts of this. This one is Rhapsody in August. Next time, I'm going to uh, package the Quiet Duel and Goodbye Dio together, because Quiet Duel is one of Kurosawa's earlier films where Chris found uh, a cheaper out-of-print version for us and uh, ripped it so we could all watch it instead of all of us paying like $300 for one DVD. And then Mark Dio is officially his his final film um, in the chronology. I don't know what order I'll put it in, but uh, sneak preview for everybody else. But this time, we're talking about Rhapsody in August, uh, uh, the latest in Kurosawa's chronology as we go through it. Um, But uh, Chris, what is this movie about besides uh, having Richard Gere in it? (laughs) Well, the film is nominally about the dropping of the atomic bomb on Nagasaki, um, which is a fresh breath of fresh air because many, many films that talk about the atom bomb drops on Japan usually focus on Hiroshima. But uh, so this is about Nagasaki and it is told through the lens of this family led by a matriarch. This grandma is like 150 years old or something. She's really, really old. Uh, she has there is a man who lives in Hawaii who uh, had naturalized as an American citizen who claims to be her brother, and he is dying. So he reaches out to try to get her to come visit him because they are the last two remaining members of their family. However, she is so old, and she had so many brothers and sisters, she doesn't remember this one specific individual, and instead sends her son and daughter off to Hawaii to meet them and uses that opportunity to have a really good summer vacation with her four grandchildren. That's the the framework of the film and it's it's about this woman trying to learn about her a part of her past that she forgot and teach these uh, four grandchildren about the history of their family. While on the other end of the coin, it's this family with a dying father who's trying to get everybody together. And that's where Richard Gere comes in. Richard Gere is the son of her uh, estranged brother who, in a last-ditch attempt, after learning that the grandmother's husband died during the Nagasaki bombing and Richard Gere being a pure-blooded American, uh, feels supreme guilt about belonging to the country that murdered his uncle. Uh, he flies to Japan to help try to convince her to come visit his father and at the same time works as an allegory or not really an allegory, works as a microcosm of trying to heal these these wounds between these two cultures and these two countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mentioned this in my letterbox review, but it's, uh, I mean, briefly, in the, in the review, but... Um, the thing that really struck me about this film, it seems to be like a uh, the ending to um, a Kurosawa chronology of movies that he's been doing from uh, The Most Beautiful, which was the war propaganda movie about women working um, working to build stuff for the men off out of war, to uh, One, One Wonderful Sunday, which is about uh, post-war people 
who uh, just want to have one wonderful Sunday, but they're poor and they don't have any money, so they have to figure out what they can do with like what whatever it was, 17 yen or something. Um, yeah, yeah, something like that. No, no, it was like five yen. Five yen. Okay, I was exaggerating the amount of money they had. Um, to to movies like uh, uh, No Regrets to No Regrets for Our Youth, which is uh, about like anti-war uh, students. Um, during the wartime period, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, and now we're finally reaching the point, uh, which I think Kurosawa was uh, positing about during all of these movies, where he is wondering what the world would be like, both in Japan and in the U.S., uh, but in the U.S. to a much uh, smaller extent, I believe, um, what they would feel about the war and what the feelings would be. Um, for those who were directly affected by it, um, the grandmother was uh, in Nagasaki at the time. She has some, or she eventually has some like horrible nightmares and um, mental episodes. I don't really know what to call them because um, she's never really diagnosed with anything. No, it's 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 something like a lot of really really old people with Alzheimer's start to go through. She's basically reliving those old days, like quite literally, believes she's in the past. Yeah, she uh, she lived in Nagasaki, or she lived near Nagasaki. So she, when the bomb dropped, she was looking out toward Nagasaki, seeing the mountains, seeing uh, what looked like just an eye, which was the atomic bomb. Um, she's having those horrible nightmares and talks back to it. But like when she is in her right mind, she doesn't really have any ill thoughts about the U.S. anymore. It's just like it was so long ago for her uh, that she doesn't think about it anymore. Um, and there's a scene later on that I want to get to, but Chris, what did you what did you think of the movie? Um, so I thought it was a it, it definitely wrapped I think wrapped up a lot um, for Kurosawa um, in terms of his approach and, and reaction over the course of his life to the atomic bomb. Um, he is he's lived through the entire series of events from before the war to the war to the bomb to immediately after the war to how is the world going to change after this war. Um, and now he's, he's, he made a movie that really shows the effect of the bomb on three generations of, uh, Japanese people. You have the actual, the Vic, the direct victim who felt impact the most. Um, her children were both very young when it happened. I don't know if it stated how young they were, but it doesn't sound like they really remember anything. Um, or much at all, or we're old enough to really, I guess, have strong, impactful feelings as it happened. Um, they just remember that it did happen, um, and they lost their father during it. Um, and then you have the, the the grandchildren who were born long after, um, and, and are theoretically the most detached, but uh, there's a scene very early in the movie where it is established. They go to Nagasaki for errands, right? They were just kind of going in there to just buy some things to bring back to their grandmother's house in the mountain. Um, mm -hmm. And they said, we need to, you know, while we're here, because we are, um, you know, we're in Nagasaki, we really owe it to ourselves to, to visit some of the, the, you know, the school where their grandfather was a teacher, where he in inevitably died when the bomb detonated or, or during, when the bomb detonated above him. And then they went to where the um, uh, bomb actually landed in all the monuments, uh, and they just spent all day wandering Nagasaki. Um, 
it shows that you know they were it, it's their reaction is then anger when they come back they're like this was an awful thing why why are our parents going to america and their grandmother's like now now it's war's fault not you know these americans fault it's it's war's fault that this happened um and i think that's pretty clear that that translates almost directly with how kurosawa has treated war in like all his films um (laughs) it's war's fault at the end of the day um so uh, and and then then you bring in richard Gere's character who just has this like he can't he he learns about what happened to his uncle and he's like we all cried we just couldn't believe it we were stunned and then the parents are like wow we're such idiots for wanting to hide it from this guy um because he comes like he immediately flies to flies to nagasaki and he's like i need to go and see where my uncle died like i need to come to better understand and accept this and then i think the most powerful scene in the movie happens at that point when all of the elderly people show up to clean the shrine clean the the monument remembering the victims and it's just told to um told to richard Gere, whose character who's clark that these are the basically they were the survivors all their classmates and friends died on that day but they lived and they do what they can to carry on their memory but they're all elderly you don't see anybody who's of um the parents generation and you certainly don't see anybody who's of the grandchildren's generation um they're taking care of you know basically res- taking care of the spirits and souls of these people yeah next listening i was uh alluding to before and that was like an incredibly powerful scene. I mean, the most mm-hmm. uh, the most powerful part about it is that no one speaks, and they they yeah. set that up. Kurosawa sets that up earlier by having uh, one of their grandmother's friends come to her house, and they just sit together for like an hour, I guess, and uh, they don't talk to each other. And she says, or they ask the grandchildren, ask, why didn't you say anything to your friend? Didn't you want to have a conversation? And she's like, some things, uh, some things like our age, we just, uh, they don't need to be said. Um, and then you see this scene where everyone there, or every, all of the old people, the classmates of the people who died when the mob dropped, you see them come over, uh, clean the area for their friends that died in the bomb, and they... Like, those characters never speak. They are spoken to, and uh, they obviously speak back, but uh, we don't hear that. Um, And just seeing that moment, the way that Kurosawa makes uh, something that was countries versus countries and uh, a a subject of just war on a personal level um, just goes... Yeah, it goes back to everything that he's been doing up to this point. It's all about the people affected, not about... um, nationalism or these countries that uh did this for uh their emperor or for the pride of uh pride of america or whatever else about these people that were yeah the 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 line that chris was alluding to um about it's war's fault the 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 direct quote is people do anything to win war sooner or later it will destroy us all so like that's such a powerful sentence just like chris was saying but but what really struck me about the film is i think i I mentioned this before on one of the earlier podcasts uh, of the movies that Corey talked about i think it was no regrets for our youth being an american you everything in our stupid fucking pop culture it's it's all propaganda to some extent 
and it's always in reference to the atomic bombs. This was a thing that had to happen so that we could win the war. It was just a part of war. Nobody, it's never translated. And even when you talk to people, especially right-wing people like my parents, there's no remorse over dropping those two bombs on Japan because they were the enemy at the time. And it's that continued mentality where where you don't recognize the weight of what has occurred, where you, you, you believe that it was necessary to win the war, and if there was another war of that escalation, these people would not hesitate to do the same thing again, even though the whole world has come together to try to eliminate nuclear weapons. Who's the one country that's allowed to have fucking nuclear weapons? This bullshit one. And that's one of the things that I really, really struck me and that I really loved about this film is it's trying to, not just from a Japanese perspective, but it tries to broach over to the American side with with Richard Gere's character and that feeling of remorse, that, that sitting with the weight of what those decisions did. People will do anything to win war, and sooner or later it will destroy us all. And just recognizing that and trying to apologize and understand how horrible it was. That's that's something this film really focuses on with the Richard Gere character. And with the main Japanese cast as well, it gives us a hefty dose of, dose of their perspective. They have every right to still be angry, but where does anger take us? It doesn't take us anywhere positive. It's it, it, it's it's a cycle, and we have to break that cycle somehow. And that's that's I really love that about this film, um, especially coming from the perspective that we never get to see fucking movies where we apologize, where we're remorseful, where we understand that we were a fucking shit country that did the the worst atrocity. Yeah. I think critically, uh, I don't believe Richard Gere actually apologizes, because it's not like he can apologize for those actions. He was not personally responsible, and it's not like anything, anybody, uh, any country, any leader can ever apologize for those actions. Um, they can just show remorse and show that this was a horrible act. Um, and I think, like, even in previous Kurosawa movies, something like Ron or uh, the the previous samurai epics where uh, the sanctuary is really on war, he's showing that uh, war is always bad. It's never going to produce a great outcome for you or for um, the opposition or for anybody. Uh, it's just going to lead to ruin. It's a heavy topic in this film. Um, and... There, there, there's a lot of the classic, you know, Kurosawa filmmaking, but this really felt like a film that he personally felt, um, I, I really want to say obligated to make. Um, like, he felt like he needed to bring closure in his art to the most profound experience of, of his and his generation's life. Um, and there's just a lot, there, there's a lot going on. I thought the... I mean, the depiction across the generations was was really important. I thought, in terms of the way that the kids arrive at grandma's house, grandma's house, and they're like, "This place," they basically are like, "This place sucks." Um, they're like, "I we had to convince her to get a refrigerator." Didn't they like have to convince her to get a refrigerator? They did. Um, and like they insult her cooking. They're like, "Your cooking's terrible, grandmother." Where we want to cook now because like they're just they grew up in this totally different world from 
world from her. And then they realize soon thereafter, because they, you know, that that's what leads to their trip into Nagasaki, um, right? They do the trip after the insult are cooking, or is it before? Um, right after, I find. Right after, yeah. Right and then they come back and they're like, oh, we should really, you know, pay more attention to, you know, and 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 pay more attention and live with grandma though they both that they all still really want to go to hawaii and who can blame them um but you know the, there's like this youthful excitement for wanting to go to hawaii but also this maturity that their parents seem to lack their parents are so obsessed with the pineapple farm um and and you know being able to take over this incredible massive apparently like pineapple farm apparently her relative her brother is extremely rich um and they just you know, the parents can only put things around that perspective, um, whereas the, the kids have a much more personal perspective of they want to see, I guess, every they really just want to see um, their grandma meet her brother because they, they, you know, just think this is, you know, what is the right thing to do in the world. She should meet this family that she just found out about before he dies. Um, and so from thematically, like, there's just that's so present in the film um but i thought you know you, you still get a lot of this the, the strong kurosawa filmmaking beats the the organ that's broken that slowly gets fixed throughout the, the film um as the kids grow up um and and pay more attention and more care towards the past um they're fixing this old they the, the one grandson works on fixing the old this old organ um as the the kids the grandkids learn more about her um, her brothers and sisters, they, you know, they, they try to almost to relive some of their, what they learn about their, some of their, um, ancestors. They, they try to relive, I guess, some of those experiences and put themselves in those shoes in a way that the parents never have. Um, I'm trying to think. And I mean, I, I am always fixated on the waterfall. It's just a beautiful waterfall. Um, there's two scenes there. The first where, the grandchildren are reliving the experience of one of their grandmother's brothers who basically it sounds like he just essentially descended into trauma induced mental illness after the bomb um, and kept seeing basically just like kept seeing eyes. But the eyes are referencing just the, what they saw when the bomb dropped um, and so traumatized, stayed in his room, um, but would go to this waterfall a lot and. They're trying to understand what caused the brother to be so traumatized, and they see the eyes of the snake, and the eyes of the snake in the water match up with the eyes of what you saw when they, what they saw when the bomb dropped. Um, that's very literary, um, and this is based on a book. That's the kind of symbolism you see in, in a in a book because I feel like when it's written, you're you have to explain how things look. Obviously, you don't have the benefit of a camera to show you. Um, but that translates into the movie, and I assume it's in the book. It feels like something that would absolutely have been in the book that it's based on um, in terms of symbolism. But that waterfall then plays a powerful role when Richard Gere's character is there playing with the grandkids. You know, he's having fun. He's, he's You know, he comes across as just like, you know, he's a very warm and, and good person. And he's, you know, spending time with these kids, and then he finds out standing there in front of this peaceful, beautiful waterfall that his father has, has passed away and he needs to immediately return home. Um, and the waterfall works because it, it should be this, this 
beautiful place where people are always there to find peace and he finds probably the saddest news of his of his life right there um that's something that is very you know kurosawa putting that that clash of peace and beauty with you know very real emotions uh that he does so well um we don't get these big giant set pieces but we get Kurosawa has always been very good at crowding the screen, and there's a scene when they go to the shrine on the the 45th anniversary of the bomb dropping, um, and everybody's there, and there's just so much activity going on, but we're made to focus on the way Richard Gere's interacting with the grandkids who are very uncomfortable about poking into this this cere- this this ceremony um they still I, I and understandably they still feel i think maybe a little uncomfortable interacting with all of these people who don't talk to each other they just come there to, to pray and then they leave it sounds like um and then richard gears characters asking questions like what's this mean what's this mean and it tells me as a viewer that the parents you know they hadn't acknowledged these a lot of the things with with the shrine um and just the emotional gravi- gravity of um, the shrine to them, it was almost, you know, just another part of their day, another thing that they do while before they return to work to make money. They were so fixated on on the mon- making money, which I keep returning to. I just think like that's such a significant part of the movie is how these parents clearly are in this entire endeavor just to bring this rich family closer to them. Um, and it's not about anybody's emotions besides their emotional reaction to how rich these people are. And then they realize, oh, God, we're idiots. Money's I'm trying to think specifically. There's a Kurt Vonnegut quote, something along the lines of uh, you fools who whatever made you think money was so valuable. I don't. Yeah, but that is a very much something Vonnegut would would include in some something. Yeah. Wake up, you idiots. Whatever made you think that money was so valuable. I was right. I was pretty close. Yeah, there we go. But I mean, yeah, it's. I, I like that whole subplot too. It, 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 it's uh, interestingly contrasted with the four grandchildren because at first they're all super enamored that they've now found this rich family that's, yeah. that's part of their family, and they're like, "Let's go to Hawaii!" And they read the letters, and they're like, "Their house is like a freaking mansion. It's got a pool. It's got all this stuff." And they're like, "Let's go to Hawaii. This is gonna be amazing!" And then by the end, they they kind of feel more of that true kinship um, with the other family and don't think about it from the money perspective so much because they see how the parents are behaving. They're like, wow, that's kind of messed up. Oh, God, we were like that. Um, But they still they don't completely retreat from it because, you know, you you can't cut that out entirely. You know, there's still going to be some excitement, um, even though you're like, no, these are these are people and their family, blah, 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 blah. I think one of the uh, things that we didn't really mention is that the brother in Hawaii is uh, someone the grandmother does not remember being a brother. She supposedly has like 11 siblings or something, and mm-hmm. she just doesn't remember a couple of them, including that one. But as the grandchildren keep picking at her brain, because they, they were tasked by the parents to convince the grandmother to go to Hawaii for the, the same money reasons, and also because I think they generally feel like it's important to see your family. But that's never stated. Um, that they, as the grandchildren keep picking the brain, and she writes stuff on the chalkboard um, about her... Uh, about her family and about the silly stories about some of her siblings. Um, she starts to remember this uh, 
this other character who we never see. He's uh, always in Hawaii, and we are always in Nagasaki uh, in the movie. But um, I think that was an interesting aspect of it. Uh, having this old woman try to remember her uh, her family, but having not thought about it for so so long because they had become so detached. Yeah, it's stated he moved. He mo- basically moved to Hawaii when he was in 1920, right? Like, and, and she would have been extremely yeah. young when that happened, based on the fact that she had young children in 1945. She probably, she surely couldn't have been that, you know, had lived with him that long. A lot of people of that age age group, they had a lot of siblings. Um, and, you know, this the old like that brother was probably you know a teenager, young adult when she was maybe even born. So it all, ch- I mean, it, it's reasonable that she would have barely remembered him, especially, you know, 70 years detached from ever even having to, you know, almost acknowledge him. Um, and I think that, that there's a definite sense of regret on both their, both of their sides. Um, they, it even got, gets mentioned that I think, or not mentioned, like shown just how much she regrets not actually getting the opportunity to meet him. Um, but there's, in a lot of ways, nothing she could really have done about it, because um, she, I, I mean, she needed to stay in Nagasaki until after the after August the ninth, um, and then by that point he had he must have passed away like right after. It sounds like yeah, um, it doesn't they like don't give us a time? Yeah, like yeah, the day, they're, of they're or not, day after or something. Yeah, they don't they don't tell the time yeah. the how time passes very clearly, but. It's like the scene right after, so you yeah. can assume it's maybe later that day or the next day. Yeah, and that's like one of the things as um, as the parents were about to leave, just go back to their homes. Um, you see the grandma just sitting there with the letter, uh, well, breaking down to, and crying, or uh, basically sobbing, um, being like, "I should have gone to see my brother. I should have." Uh, believed this letter i should have uh done all of these things um and like the only opportunity that she would have had is going with the parents and i'm sure the kids would have found somewhere else to be during this point it's not like the grandmother is the only caregiver or the only uh alternative caregiver to the parents but um she just has so many regrets about uh not seeing this brother yeah that was a really good scene that 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 leads into like the the whole like hyper flashbacks to where she thought mm-hmm. she was reliving mm-hmm. uh, the day the bomb dropped, which, which interestingly had the most, in my opinion, the best visuals of the film mm-hmm. because of the storm and it it almost looked like those clouds were painted, which knowing Kurosawa, I wouldn't put it past him that they were painted in some fashion because they were just too gorgeous to be real. Um, that if they if they were real shots of of a storm of storm clouds, what a blessed production <laughs> this was. Um, and it leads to the final shot, which I think is hilarious because the final shot of the film is the freaking poster art. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, it's you, you see the poster and you're kind of like waiting the whole film to see what the heck is going on in that picture, and then oh there oh there, those oh Finn. Okay, we're it's over now. All <laughs> yeah. right. I thought during that final scene there was a, that that song, um, and it kept talking, you know, singing about a rose. When her umbrella blows up, it looks a bit like a rose. I mean, obviously it's bla- a black umbrella, but um, it blows, you know, inside out. Um, and the fold, the fold increases, and it make it look a little like a rose while that song is playing. I was like, they bring that song around 
that that's Mo- the second time they bring it around yeah. for a more literalized meaning. Um, I thought it was really interesting because it, 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 they they earworm that damn song into your brain throughout the whole mm-hmm. movie, and then during the August 9th memorial, the song isn't playing, but you're kind of like, oh, there we go, because the kids piecing it together, and you're like, it, and I, th- I think it, it draws directly to that because the rose at the ceremony is being covered with black ants, mm-hmm. and almost turns that rose black. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think you're you're pretty spot on there, Chris. I don't think yeah. you're you're stretching at all. Yeah. One of the one of the things that I I think is really interesting about the movie is I I had always heard and and gotten the assumption that this was one of Kurosawa's lesser films that this was just not a very good one, which I think is hilarious. But I can kind of see it if people say that they're bored during the film. Um, it's a very dry film with it's just people talking it, like. Corey had mentioned it all takes place in Nagasaki and aside from the few scenes where they go to the school site in Nagasaki they're all in this gorgeous like gigantic home farm um, where the grandmother has lived her whole life and it's just these people sitting around and talking very Ozu style uh, but with Kurosawa's uh, Kurosawa's camera work because <laughs> that's one thing you can't say Ozu ever had was elaborate camera work um <laughs> And, 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 what, you don't love people staring into the camera for 10 minutes? <laughs> I didn't say I didn't love it. I'm just saying it's not elaborate. Um, Kurosawa moved the camera, but it's yeah. still people sitting around talking. Um, and the reception, I, I, I looked it up on Wikipedia, the reception was more towards the themes of it, that, that negative reception. And that, that I kind of forgive a bit less than if someone just watched it and thought it was a bit too dry for them um looking it up there was a press conference at the Cannes film festival where a journalist just shouted out during the middle of the press conference why was the bomb dropped in the first place like and and that the some critics felt that kurosawa was omitting the war crimes that the japanese government perpetrated they clearly didn't understand the core central theme of the film. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it, it's it's he's never excusing yeah. anyone's actions. Um, it's just the and, and and for me personally, the atomic bombs that that was too far. That the, the that was a true evil that we introduced into this world. Um, and I think Kurosawa understands that. distinctly that's that's the point of the eye uh the the mushroom cloud being this eye that's an evil eye um always bringing in david lynch and twin peaks you know that's one of his central themes and yeah nobody's ever trying to say that japan committed war crimes because it all comes back to that quote people will do anything to win war and in the end it will ruin us all but the those bombs that was something else because that murdered that was Pearl Harbor was a targeted attack at a military base. A lot of the battles were targeted attacks at military bases. The atomic bombs were nonchalantly dropped on major metropolitan areas where he loss of civilian innocent life was regardless uh, was disregarded. What did you say, Corey? Industry. Yeah. But those bombs, they were just, they were so big that it was indiscriminate. That's what yeah. makes those such a tragedy. Um, that's what 
makes the America's war in the Middle East for the past 20 years such a tragedy is is all the innocent life lost that because of the disregard mm -hmm. the, the just just going to murder whatever we can because we're going to win um and and would, would it have worked better i mean it, kurosawa even set it up you know having the the son or the the brother who is dying in hawaii he moved to hawaii in 1920 well before the the war um there there there's an open opportunity for some commentary about the Pearl Harbor bombings, but all of that is completely uh, erased. There's not even a mention of Pearl Harbor. That would have made for another three-hour film. Like, like Chris was saying, this this film was very pointed, and it wanted to be about the personal loss because that's really what it was. When you when you lose a soldier in war, that's one thing. It's tragic, and you personally lost a loved one. But it, it, when you lose an entire school of children and teachers because a giant bomb wiped out an entire goddamn city. That's something much more different. Um, and that's where the personal loss, that's what Kurosawa is talking about, uh, really comes in. These were, her husband was an innocent. He was a teacher. He was teaching. Um, and the trauma. But one of the things that I think is interesting, I'm currently rewatching a lot of Alejandro Jodorowsky's films as I got the new uh, box set in um, his psychomagic practice that he created is deals a lot with uh, family trauma that that trauma is passed through family which we understand because that's one of the big points of the 1619 project and what a lot of African Americans have been talking about it's that familial trauma of the past continues um and you can kind of see that in what chris was talking about some of the hatred that the children start to feel but kurosawa keeps bringing it back says no we we can't do the hate that's what got us there in the first place and that's that's why i think this is a really good film that's why i think this is still a very a powerful and positive film um it doesn't feel feel anti-american uh, by any stretch, nobody treats Richard Gere like poop. Um, They're like intimate. Like the parents are almost intimidated by him. They're like, "Oh God, we can't piss this guy off." Yeah, and then it's like he's like, "Hey guys, it's me. I'm, you know, you know, laid back guy. You know, I he very much understands the gravity of of what or attempts to understand the gravity of what happened to his uncle. But he's still like, you can just see that he is very much, you know, he's put a lot i mean having a, a, a japanese father i mean he's put a lot i think mentally through his his life um is it you know japanese american experience that he's able to bring over and show to um you know that the other side of the family um he's in turn he's kind of come to ex grips with a lot of it um but he clearly understands he needs to see and ex see and understand more um whereas the parents are like we just don't talk we just can't talk about it just pretend it never yeah never happened it, yeah. it would yeah. i think the parents are it the, i mean obviously the villain of the the antagonist of the movie is a, a new in the atomic bomb if it's involved in a movie that's usually the antagonist but in terms of like actual characters and people i feel like the parents serve as the antagonistic foil for the first hour and then they all come together and have to deal with the actual antagonist, which is just the 
in reality around what happened 45 years ago and how they're still trying to move forward from it. Yeah. Yeah. I will say it is a dry movie. Um, <laughs> I do totally fine with dry films, but if you're watching every Kurosawa movie, you probably aren't going to be prepared for something this dry, I would say. Um, generally does, there's just a lot more action and activity in, in all, nearly all of his films. Um, even something like I'm trying to think of another one that I would say. And I, it's hard to say any other any of his other films are dry. The lower depths. That's okay. It's a, the, it's, a, it's a filmed adaptation of a stage play, so it's literally just oh. people sitting around talking. And it's shot yep. like a stage play as well. Yep, that'll be dry. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah, he he generally hasn't done one this very much. You know, people sitting around and talking and using dialogue to carry the entire film um, in this way um, or lack of dialogue at some points um, and I could see how a lot of people would consider it you know it's is, you know if you accept the themes and you understand the themes and, and, and have an appreciation for that I, I think it's fair to say this is a dry movie that I didn't particularly care for um, and I can see why that that knocks it down in people's overall list of um you know, curse album films, but I'm on record in this podcast. I love Ozu films, so if I can, and French films that are sometimes <laughs> just suffocatingly dry, um, this is nothing compared to those. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not going to criticize someone if they say this movie's a little too dry for me because it is definitely, it's, I mean, it, it, it's extremely dry for a curse owl film, um, and overall, it's dry for a film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to make it so that the only two times that I speak during this podcast aren't bringing on the weight and the heaviness because that's just my brain, so I apologize to everybody um, for that. Uh, speaking of Richard Gere, I think it's hilarious. So Richard Gere obviously does not speak Japanese. Um, he learned his lines phonetically, so and I think that's actually kind of genius because <laughs> it's stated that um, they speak broken Japanese, so the fact that he speaks all of his lines phonetically and doesn't understand a word of what he's saying is is perfect because it gives that very stilted, broken Japanese performance where he's, he looks like he's really, really trying, you know? And I liked that. Um, I feel that Richard Gere really coasts by on much of his charms at the time. This was This was after Pretty Woman, so he was basically the biggest <laughs> star in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, he is the man. He was, uh, yeah. It's actually kind of stunning that he got to that he was he had a supporting role in a Kurosawa movie in '91. I mean, he's, yeah, he was. According to Wikipedia, he he said, "I will work for free to work with Kurosawa." <laughs> <laughs> he is he's a practicing Buddhist, I guess. So he probably has a and an actor that has watched a lot of movies, I'm sure. So he has to have a working knowledge of Kurosawa and his the gravity that uh, the name brings with it yeah he he's not i don't think he does a super super great job um in the role because i'm not a super big richard Gere fan um but i just thought that the the whole phonetically learning his lines really added a really uh, good dimension of believability to his character and the fact that um even when he speaks english they still subtitled it because you can barely understand that he's speaking english because of the sound design i don't know it just worked really well <laughs> Um, I thought I thought I thought this was Richard Gere essentially just playing charming Richard Gere. 
mm-hmm. um, which is fine because he's supposed to come over and be, I guess, a charming guy. You know, you're supposed to see him and go, oh, he's just got a, you know, he's a positive person, um, and he's and like with the with the you know dichotomy of these extremely anxious parents who are like, oh my god, we cannot offend this guy at all, mm-hmm. um, and he's like inoffend, like you just can't offend him. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but I would agree. Like I, don't, I mean, it's just Richard Gere's performance is reading lines of dialogue, which is to, it, phonetically, which is totally fine. Like he's he's not supposed to steal the scene. Um, mm. He's a supporting supporting character, which is you know it's he's fine. I would agree. with the kids. Though. He is. Mm-hmm. That's where I say like that's where you see like the charming, positive Richard Gere. Like he's so good with the kids when he hops on the bed and he's like, "Now this is a bed." I'm like. <laughs> I want to hang out with that guy, <laughs> which I, 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 my minor Richard Gere criticism is that he's, he coasted on being that guy for a long time, but that could also just be those, those were the roles he was given and be told like, just be your charming Richard Gere self. Don't actually put much into this character. Yeah. I'm not going to comment too much on that because people will take my, my Tom Cruise love to task for it, but Tom Cruise is much more charming. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff like I like about this movie uh, beyond Richard Gere. Um, like the uh, the perspective uh, or the Japanese perspective of uh, how Americans would feel about the atomic bomb, and specifically Japanese Americans would feel about this. Would they feel guilt? Would they feel uh, remorse? Or I mean, obviously they probably feel remorse, but like, how would they feel about? Uh, the dropping of the bomb. So given that they are um, both the uh, singers and receivers of that, um, in in some ways, or especially in the in the Japanese eyes, because they I don't know if they make the same distinction between Japanese Americans and Japanese. Uh, and living in Hawaii, that they were uh, exempted from the concentration camps that America had put in because Hawaii was like 50% Japanese. Amer- Japanese Americans or whatever, so they couldn't shut down the entire state of Hawaii during this time. Um, it was not a state then either. That was oh just yeah, yeah. Largely, I mean, it largely existed as a American military exercise to keep a check on Japanese expansion and, and well, what became Japanese expansion in the Pacific, but all the other imperial powers expanding in the Pacific. Mm. Um, and then after the war, they were kind of like. Hey, we'll just expand our imperial power. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I mean, to, keeping it for, uh, as these people, like we don't. It's not about uh, American war crimes. I mean, it's about one American war crime. It's not about all the other American war crimes. It's not about Japanese war crimes, of which there are several. Uh, it's not about. Um, any of that other stuff, it is just about these people and how they were affected about it, or affected by it. So, like, questions like, uh, whatever it was that you said, Chris. Uh, Why was the bomb dropped in the first place? Yeah, uh, that was a whole ten minutes ago, I can't remember. Um, questions like, why was the bomb dropped in the first place are not really relevant, because it is not about why the bomb was dropped. It is about, uh, what happened after the bomb was dropped. Um... Things about how these people feel about the bomb being dropped, uh, how Japanese people feel uh, being detached, uh, a generation detached from it, basically. It's about how uh, Japanese Americans feel. Um, 
about uh, their their ancestral home being attacked by this and uh, being responsible for it in in some way that doesn't really make sense but does make sense um, being from the country that that dropped the bomb uh, yeah there's just a lot a lot a lot going on in this um, in this movie from both that that bomb perspective from a uh, Japanese or Asian American perspective, but especially Japanese American perspective, I found it really interesting how Kurosawa was trying to delve into what they were thinking. Uh, I I don't know what kind of research he did or what kind of research the novel did in terms of interviewing Japanese Americans on their thoughts. Uh, but like, like one of the things when uh, I was first starting to dig Dana, we came or I came here. And we went to the Japanese American Museum, and I remember we uh, were going through the concentration camp exhibits, and two of the people there were older people who were in the camps, and they were just talking about these stories about uh, their classmates after they got out of the camps, uh, saying, oh, they're they're going to camp, like summer camp, like the fun camps. And the, these children were like, why would we ever want to go to camp again? Um... Like those those kinds of things were aren't touched in this movie. They shouldn't be touched in this movie, but uh, those are the kinds of moments and things that are like historically relevant generally for uh, stories of this magnitude, of this gravity. Um, and uh, that might be something that Richard Gere's character had in mind, or uh, what his father had in mind, or what their kids. Uh, I assume Richard Gere has kids. What his kids had in mind. Um, when they found out that they have this living relative in Japan. Yes. Yeah, I mean, on the topic of, of the film not addressing other, you know, aspects of the war, I, you know, there's a billion films that do, so it's not like, you know, we're missing something that should have been talked about. Um, this is clearly about one incident. Um, I mean, we don't talk about it. It's not touched on, you know, the other aspects of the war with, with America, um, they, you know, there's, there's, there's again, just as you mentioned, just the mention of what, you know, Japanese Americans might have felt during the war, um, living in America, but it, it, it may not be, it, it may, it may, maybe that Kurosawa just wanted to gloss over it, um, and I, entirely possible, you know, you, you don't want to distract from your central theme with, with other themes that you then have to cover in detail because every single one of them has such gravity to it. You can't just say this happened. Onto the next thing. So I think I think portraying it in a way that it's almost internalized, like by by Richard Gere's character and by the uh, by some of the other characters that they know this happened, but it's just not spoken, um, is really you know a strong um, strong way to present a lot of the traumas of the war. Yep. Yeah. But uh, I guess did anyone else have anything else before we uh, we take a break on this episode and uh, stop talking about <laughs> the way no. of war? I think I think I think I'm okay. I think I'm good. I'm okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to get a lot of that off my chest. This is you know, a lot of movies. A lot of movies you sit down and, and there's a lot of thematic things that affect fictional characters. Um, so as as I thought of as I was watching the movie, it's like wow, this is a, an anti-war movie, but it's all about fictional characters. So it's okay for me to go, yeah, that's awesome. But when it's like about real character, real real lives that were affected, even though it's in a film, but like you know Nagasaki actually happened. All these millions and millions of lives were directly affected by the actions of the war. It's really hard to leave without going. I need to just really come to grips with everything that this movie was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an important movie to watch. 
I think, more than anything, um, for the perspective of an 80-some-year-old Akira Kurosawa finally putting to film what the last 50 years of his life, I think, meant in a lot of ways. Like, what, what he had come to grips with um, regarding just the trauma of probably the first third of his life, almost. Um, just an endless wave of, you know, living under, growing up, living under a fascist regime, dealing with a war, dealing with the dealing with the bombs, dealing with the aftermath of the war, you know, covered probably about 30 years of his life, I would say. And so I think this movie is a way for him in 90 minutes to try to get as much of that out as he can. Yeah. And he got a lot out. Um, I thought this was... You know, a- there is one thing that I do did, did think of that I wanted to add real quick. I really hope that Criterion or somebody re-releases this because, A, the disc is pretty out of print. I was I was lucky to get a get a copy for not too crazy expensive. Um, but also those subtitles need some refreshing. It was kind of bothering me every time when they were talking about a ca- uh, a kappa. They, they just kept translating it as a water imp. Oh yeah, that, and then and then I was like I was like a water imp, and then they showed showed the kid dressed as a cop. I was like, come on! Yeah. No, I, I could hear it when they were talking. I was like, oh my god, stop stop doing that, stop doing that. The kappa is a it's a it's a it's a creature. It, it's its own name. Quit trying to translate it to something else. Please stop. Um, yeah, I love this movie generally. Um, I thought this. I think this will stand um, among some of my favorite Kurosawa's, just because of uh, not just the story the movie itself was telling, but also the, uh, as I was saying earlier, the story that Kurosawa was telling throughout uh, a lot of his movies in the wartime era and the post-war era, and up to now. Um, this is uh, if you are a Kurosawa fan and you've seen those movies. Which, uh, if you are, you you might you might have, given that they are some of his lesser-known movies. But um, I think this one is absolutely worth watching. Absolutely is. Uh, but uh, let's close this segment out. Where can we find both of you on the internet? Oh, okay. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Antonius Pius, and you can find me on the Twitters at Gokufi. Um, I also have my YouTube channel, The Cups of Night Films. And you can find me on Instagram at FrogMob. All right, let's uh, take a short break, and I will be back on the other side with Helen to talk about uh, Moonland, a gymnastics manga. We are back. Helen has joined me. Heyo. And we're here to talk about Moonland, the gymnastics manga on Manga Plus. Um, so Manga Plus is a, a platform that we talked about over on Manga in Your Ears, but Helen, do you want to briefly describe what that is for people? Sure. It's similar to the Shonen Jump app that Viz has out right now. They've got some overlapping titles. Um, I think Manga Plus has all the Shonen Jump titles that Viz has, basically. But they've also got a number of other titles on there also published by Shueisha, that Diz doesn't have. Over on Manga in Your Ears, we've talked about a couple of them recently, like Curtains Up, I'm Off, and Sign of the Abyss. And Moonland was one I wanted to talk about, but it was a sports one, so I was like, Gory, it's a sports manga. 
Coming on to Tiger Podcast, we're going to talk about the boys' gymnastics sports manga, which has no relation at all to the boys' gymnastics anime that Studio Mappa is putting out very soon. Like, it's kind of weird that we get two of these at the same time, but we're going to be here first. We're going to talk about Moonland first, because I like these boys. They're good boys. Yep, correct. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, currently ongoing. The 75th chapter just came out today. Yes. Um, and I read that yeah, just it feels before. like it might wrap up soon, but fingers crossed it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, you never know with these things. Like, are they gonna go until they win Inter High? Are they gonna go until, or if they win Inter High, they're, um, or are they going to go until Mitsu, uh, the main character Mitsu, and his, uh, rival slash teammate Sakura are third years, uh, they're currently first years, so, um, you never know with these sports manga. Something like Kuroko's only went to uh, when they won a major tournament, but something like Ace of Diamond is still going, and they have not graduated yet, as far as I know. I mean, Haikyuu went for, like, 400 chapters. They didn't even grow a year, though. Well, no, then they had a time skip, I think, but oh, I'm yeah, getting yeah. ahead of myself, since I, I know that you and Chris are going to be talking about Haikyuu soon, and the reason we're talking about Moonland now instead of in January, I think, is because Chris couldn't watch, couldn't read all of Haikyuu in time. Yep. Uh, well, we were going to talk about Midlang. That was my plan. but uh, Oh, I thought you had us on the schedule for January. Oh, no, uh, that that must be Basquash. Basquash? No, no, it is, or is it Basquash? Okay. I, I don't know. I don't know no, how to say I've things. seen some of the show. It's definitely pronounced Basquash. Okay, that's weird. Uh, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're here to talk about Midlang. Uh, written and drawn by Sai Yamagishi. And as we have mentioned, it is a gymnastics manga where Mitsuki, uh, usually called Mitsu, is a uh, gymnastics with a very high E score. And for those who do not know gymnastics at all, like I did, uh, as I started reading this manga, your E score is the execution. You start at 10 and you lose points as you mess, thing- as you mess things up. So uh, when you're on the uh, bars where you fling around and do uh, twists and spin, well, everything's in twists and spin and stuff, but um, if you hit the bar... Uh, and your elbows are slightly banked, that would be minus 0.1 points, uh, and so on for larger deductions like uh, falling off the bar, which would be a one-point deduction. Um, so we start when he is a third year... Oh, no, I think we the manga starts when they were like children, children, right? Yeah, I think they were in elementary school, um, and you forgot to say he's got a high E score, but a relatively low D score, I think is the other part, yes. which is how complex the moves are. Mm-hmm. Since Mitsuki... As we start the series, he isn't very interested in competing. He just sort of wants to perfect his own gymnastics, just sort of achieve like this zen-like state with himself. So he's not doing very complicated things when the series starts. Yeah. Everybody around him, chagrins, they're like, you could be really great. Why are you not motivated by competition? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mixu's obsession is with uh, controlling his body and the way that he sees to do that is do these gymnastics moves to perfect execution. Like, his goal is to have a 10 E score, um, but I don't think he's really as concerned with his D score uh, until, like, basically right now uh, in the manga. But his his rival, um, is, or his foil, I guess, is Sakura Dogase, who is also his teammate. He specifically went to this school so he could uh, watch Sakura's gymnastics close up. And he's part of a, um, or at least a line of at least two gymnasts. His older brother is a very good gymnast. They are part of a fake Super Sentai squad where with uh, five other third-year high schoolers, um, there are three other uh, major people in this gymnastics club. The uh, 
club president, no, four other. Um, this page that you sent me to has three people named in the uh, narration and one person named uh, in a, te- in a uh, whatchamacallit, speaky cube. Word bubble? Word bubble, yep. <laughs> I'm using speaky cube as a word now. <laughs> Uh, it's an even cube shape. It's, most of them aren't cube shape, which is why they're called bubbles. Uh, the club captain, Taxia Asanuma, who is uh, pretty swole, and the uh, another third year is Ukio Benimura, um, vice president Kenko Aso, who is very good at the... Uh, what's it called? The horse thing? What's the other word? Pommel horse. Yeah, pommel horse, yep. Yeah, which then, is the one where you... Um, sort of get on it, you hold yourself like horizontal, and then you try to spin around really good and not make it look hard. Yeah. And then uh, the final final uh, upperclassman is Bunta Hasegawa, who I barely remember because he is not a major point. Um But Omi uh, is the fellow first year who joins. He is just joining because a pretty girl said that he should join, and the pretty girl is uh, a friend of Sakura's from elementary school. They've been training in gymnastics for a long time together. Um, but Helen, what was your background on gymnastics, and how did you come across this series? Well, I wanted to say first, Corey, I feel like you were skipping over some key sports manga tropes that come to the series, which is that while Mitsuki hasn't chosen this high school for any particular reason, uh, this high school is known for having a really good girls' gymnastics team. You know, I think they're nationals winners, but the boys' team is just sort of meh, even though their coach um, at the school, he's like either a former Olympian or he competed at that level when he was their age. And so you've got this group of like scrappy folks who have been really trying to improve their gymnastics and overtake another school. And Sakura, uh, like you said, he's Mitsuki's foil. They've definitely got a Kageya, um, Kageyama Hinata dynamic going on there. He's partially come to this school because his brother's at another school and he wants to compete against his brother because he's just, you know, he's got them teenage insecurities. And so... Um, yeah, we we got to sell this to people, Corey. We got to tell people this is a good manga. <laughs> they need to read it. Yeah, I mean specifically because his brother was like, I don't want you on my team, and he took that as a slight for some reason. And now, in like most recent chapters, we're finding out, oh no, there was a deeper meaning behind his brother's words, as mm-hmm. most of us seasoned manga re- manga readers probably guessed. Yes, uh, uh, very Sasuke Itachi sort of. You see, I don't think I ever read enough Naruto to get to when Sasuke wasn't being an ass again, so... Oh, okay. Well, I can give you the background right now if you want, but we don't have not to. Not during the podcast, Corey. This is not the Naruto <laughs> podcast. Uh, so my background of this is that I've always admired gymnastics and liked watching it. Never done any of it myself. And so I found this when I was just... When I finally had the time to actually start looking at everything on Manga Plus over a year ago now. I think like two years. I'd have to see how old some of my tweets on it are. But that's when I caught it, and I started reading it, and I was like, yeah, I like this a lot. This is great. I kind of wish more people would talk about it. And um, I've just been waiting, you know, for it to get enough chapters that I could just slide this over to you and be like, hey, this is going to be on the podcast now. (laughs) I know I'm not a regular person on this podcast, but I said so. Although it does also suffer um, from a feeling I had about Yuri on Ice, which is that this is a mostly female-dominated sport. So I'd really like to see, you know, more girls' sports manga, more girls' sports anime. But instead, we're focusing on the guys' team instead. And I'm like, eh, it's good. I like the sport, but can't we also have more girls doing the sport? Which I know is a feeling I sometimes have about Haikyuu as well, where it's like, there's a girls' team? Like, could, could we get the girls' version too? No? Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I found that a lot recently with uh, 
these manga or these sports manga in particular maybe they're trying to get after the fujoshi crowd um of manga readers i read uh I don't remember who was retweeting it, but the readership for Haikyuu or one of those sports manga is something like 91% female, or maybe it was like 87% female. It was a large percent female compared to... I would believe it for Haikyuu, yeah. Yeah, compared to like Golden Kamui, which was much closer to 50-50. It's like 49-51 or something. Um, Again, looking at the boys in Haikyuu versus the boys in Golden Kamui, I could believe it. Yeah. (laughs) That that is like the twink versus bara aesthetic, so... Mm. Yeah, but especially with these sports where, like, a lot of these things you typically think of uh, gymnastics or volleyball as uh, women-dominated sports. Like, we see uh, beach volleyball a lot in the Olympics because uh, the media and men are huge pervs, but uh, we also see women's gymnastics a lot, uh, especially in the United States, because our women's gymnastics team is so good, and... um, a lot of the people there are like generational transcending talents right now. Um, so being able to see men's gymnastics like this uh, is a one a completely different sport, uh, it seems. And uh, yeah, they have different events. I think mm-hmm. women's gymnastics has more events, but there's a couple that only the men do. Like women don't do the rings at all. And women do the, let's see, I think they do the uneven bars, but men do the um, parallel bars. Yeah, and the women's, um, not the parallel bars, but the uh, uneven bar, is that the one where they, the one that I was trying to poorly describe earlier? Uh, I think that might have been one of the ones you were describing. Okay. Oh, I think they also do the vaults differently. I think men vault, like, long way over the horse, but women vault, like, mm. short way over the horse. I think that's also one of the differences. Yeah, yeah the women also And we're not even two... talking about rhythmic gymnastics right now, because this is not a rhythmic gymnastics manga, because men actually can't compete in that one at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is actually called artistic gymnastics, according to uh, the Olympics video that I was watching earlier. Oh, I, I am out of date. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, um... I learned it yesterday when I was watching it. Uh, apparently Dana's sisters were really into gymnastics, so she just has watched thousands of hours of gymnastics throughout her life. Um, I've not done that. Uh, but like reading this, uh, learning about gymnastics, and seeing these character dynamics was very refreshing. Uh, it's not often, or I don't think it's very often, that you see people that are like really experienced in the sport. Um, like, everyone is really experienced in the sport. Like, Me Too is still learning a lot of the things about the execution and the rules and stuff, just because he was so, um, so keyed in to, on doing the moves and doing the moves correctly. Um, but I think it, uh, it does that really well. Yeah, I liked these characters a lot. Um, it's a fun team that we're focusing on. Uh, Sakura is definitely a bit of a brat to start with, and he's getting better. Uh, there was, like, um, a little extra chapter recently. Um, Manga Plus is pretty cool because they upload these extra chapters for all of their series as well, in which someone else on the team has been compiling these notebooks of everybody's personality traits. And the one for Sakura says, would be better if he stopped getting annoyed so easily. And he's like, yes, I know, damn it. I'm trying. I'm working on it. <laughs> but yeah, um, the, t- the team is also just a bit of an interesting combination since for the third years, I think... All three of them had come in with previous experience, but two of them just had such poor foundations. Like, their past gymnastic teachers had really not done the main favors. And the coach was saying, you guys really need to refocus on the basics and learn everything from the ground up. Otherwise, A, you will not be able to win competitions, and B, you will hurt yourselves. Mm-hmm. And so we've got 
So we've got kind of like this comeback year for the team as well, since we've got these third years who are finally in good enough form and shape to really compete. Uh, there's another member of the team who's been out for an injury for a little bit. So when he comes in, it's kind of like when you call in the sixth ranger, you know, the per the backup hitter, <laughs> um, the pinch hitter, you know, and you pull him in and suddenly everyone's like, whoa, this guy, he's so good. Um, and then, of course, we've got a couple. We've got another, like, complete beginner on um, who's um, one of the freshmen. And, of course, that means it gives the story a very good reason to explain all of these fine details of gymnastics, which I was unaware of. Since when I'm watching competitions, I can spot things like, oh, somebody bounced as they landed coming off a vault. I know that's a deduction, but I don't know, like, the twists, the turns, and everything in the air. Like, when I see somebody in the air, like, they're doing flips, I cannot count how many they're doing. It's like ice skating. I have to rely on the commentators to tell me, you know, what just happened. So it's been really interesting. Um, sometimes I feel like the art is a little stiff, um, since Sai Yamagishi is really trying to show the characters going through several movements in the air whenever they're performing something. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I feel like it's working more than it used to in the later chapters. I feel like they've kind of gotten into a groove with making it just flow easily. Sometimes there's also some weird issues with like the characters would be moving left to right in the panel instead of right to left. And I was just getting confused. Like, how am I supposed to read this page? Oh yeah. I saw that too. Yeah. It's like, I am a veteran of manga reading. I'm just having some moments here, which is why I would like to see this animated. And I am looking forward to that MAPA series coming out because um, much like ice skating, gymnastics isn't about just the moves you do, but the way you connect them together. So I really just want to see it in motion instead of um, very good approximations with still images. Yeah, I mean, we... that's what anime is as well, but you guys know what I mean, you know? <laughs> Faster still images. Yeah, yeah, we see some of that uh, explanation stuff about uh, connecting moves, um, not only in the text, but also in those extra chapters. Um, so if you do, uh, all these moves are ranked A to G or H or I or whatever, however many letters there are. Uh, with A being the easiest, so when they do like a D-level move and connect it with an E-level move, that will give you a little extra bump in points. Um, and those are all explained, uh, I believe, in the text, but those extra chapters really help as well, because it doesn't make the uh, the text feel, or the manga itself, feel really cumbersome. Um, it allows those explanations to be in these uh, asides, where... Nothing's really going on, and they're back at the school doing training and explaining this to the first-year guy. And, like, that's fine. I like I like those moments where I am learning as as much as the first-year guy is. And if I assume if you're more versed in gymnastics, you could just skip those chapters entirely, because not much happens in those. I think one of the uh, more memorable ones for me is when they got tickets to the Tokyo Olympics in 2020, and then I got really sad, but... Uh, Oh, it was that. sort of like a hypothetical, like, oh, my brother is aiming to be one of those Olympians, so I don't need to worry about getting tickets. I'll just automatically get family <laughs> tickets through him. Yeah. yeah. I think I think they were having to say that in, like, hypotheticals, like, if this was actually taking place in this year, since I know the manga, I think it's I think it's a couple years old by this point. So it started earlier, obviously. Yeah, I don't know when it started. I just see that, like, a couple chapters were uploaded all at once in early 2019, so it probably started, like, maybe sometime in 2018 and since you know it, it's manga time you know only a few months have passed in the series mm -hmm. yeah, yeah and this, this is series a... definitely feels like one where it expects the readers to be aware that gymnastics is a sport and have possibly watched some during the olympics before but definitely not understand the technicals 
And so it just goes into as much detail as you need to understand, okay, here's why the characters are training doing this. Here's why they're concerned about this. Here's why this other aspect is motivating them. So yeah, I could see those explanations probably getting a little boring for anyone who's really good at gymnastics, but I feel like that's a pretty small part of the population. I mm-hmm. don't know. I don't know. Are gymnastic people nerdy? I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. Uh, maybe they don't have time to read manga. Yeah, true. What I've, what I've learned from reading a lot of uh, manga about niche subjects or anime, watching anime about niche subjects, is that there is always a subset of people that are really nerdy about this thing, and I never expect there to be that many people that are nerdy about this thing. Uh, but they're, they exist. They're there. Um, and it's true. Big Windup taught me everything I know about baseball. <laughs> I mean, Big Windup really got into Inside Baseball in the true sense of Inside Baseball. In that the baseball games in that anime lasted as long as actual real-life <laughs> games. You were to watch all the episodes back-to-back. Yeah. So yeah, hooray to sports anime and manga for teaching us about sports balls. So there's no balls in the sport. Sports rings. Sports bars. Sports bars, yeah. Teaching us about sports <laughs> bars. Yeah. In this, uh, this particular manga you were saying earlier about the... Uh, Realism, yet sometimes confusing uh, drawings that they have for the moves, and I think that's going to be natural given how many times they're twisting and turning and flipping and doing whatever else. Uh, I couldn't follow it either. And then when they do the ex- the slower explanation of it, where they're like showing the basic progression of it, it goes left to right, and I got really confused. Uh, <laughs> literally every time I saw those, but um, Sai Yamagishi does have a real gymnast, uh, Hisashi Mizutori, um, to be a, a, a the official name is supervisor for this uh he is currently a professor at ko university um so and he was a former gymnast of course so he knows his stuff yeah like i said i think that um some of the awkwardness when it comes to the art is probably just due to a learning curve on yamagishi's part since it does seem to have gotten a lot easier to follow in more recent chapters and it got me wondering like of course, we read English most of the time, and so in English, you go left to right, and so an illustration in English of how a gymnast moves would work would probably also go left to right. So I wonder maybe like the expl- explanation manuals in Japan also have the images printed left to right mm. instead of flipping them. I was wondering if that was going to be the case, but I have absolutely no idea how to look that up. I don't know how to go online and find like Japanese training manuals on gymnastics to look <laughs> the images and find out. <laughs> That was yeah. one of my theories, and it did just seem so odd. But if you just pause and take in the page and think about it for a second, and then maybe go on to, you know, like a YouTube diversion and just look at some really great gymnastics online, you'll, you'll figure it out. Yeah, I did go and watch some gymnastics online from 2016 and 2012. Um, as I watched those, I was just as confused watching it in real life as I was reading the manga. So uh, maybe it's true to form. <laughs> but yeah, I think I mentioned at the top of this show that this series seems like it might be starting to wrap up. Uh, this is definitely one of the sadder things about following so many manga concurrently now with Japan, is that you realize just how many series end before they truly should have. <laughs> Rest in peace. Curtains up, I'm off. Rest in peace. Um, it do- I feel like I would be satisfied, though, if they end after this current competition, because I feel like a number of the characters probably would have like achieved their goals or like taken a good first step towards their goals since uh, the high school team as a whole definitely wants to win their team competition, which is where all the players are competing in some of the events and their scores just get added together and then you get the school's final total score out of that. Um, And they're also trying to win, you know, individually with just their own scores. So I feel like if the series was to end after this current arc, it would be like a good step for all of them. We've also already seen a lot of development from Mitsuki 
since he's gone from not being interested in competitions to seeing them as a way to continue to challenge himself and just getting interested in them. Uh, but I would like it to go on a little longer, although I guess it's unlikely that we'd be able to get any of these characters into the 2020 Olympics. <laughs> um, unlike Haikyuu, which I think was trying to get the characters into like the 2016 Olympics or something. Oh, 2016. Goodness. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, was old. I think that was why Hinata was down in Brazil after the time skip, but yeah, that, that's another podcast, but... <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, there are uh, not just sports in this in this sports manga, as usual. There are some extra chapters. They're usually only one or two chapters long. Uh, by extra chapters, I mean, like, they're a part of the main story, but they're, uh, they're just part of the characters' lives, not them doing gymnastics. Um, usually only one yeah, or two manga chapters plus long. Yeah, manga lists them all as, like, EX, side story, number, such and such. Yeah. Um, but some of them are like they go out to buy shirts because they need shirts. Uh, and there's this model girl who's in their class uh, called Ijuin, I think. Um, and she has a crush on Mitsu, who's not really noticing her or literally anybody else because he's kind of dense. Um, and to be fair, she's also a Sundari, and Mitsu probably does not know even what a Sundari is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, like, a lot of the, or some of these, like, extra supplementary characters where, uh, she goes to the Inter High, which I guess required a, a flight from wherever they were. I don't remember where, where they are. Um, yeah, I think it's in southern Japan. It's not in and around Tokyo, which is where they seem to be based. Like, every anime and manga is based in and around Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah, so they go to Tokyo for the Inter High, um, because they have won their regionals, and now they are trying to win Inter High as, as all sports manga, uh, sports manga, sports anime do, so she flies out to Tokyo just so she can see his gymnastics, because uh, all of the local tournaments that he's been to have conflicted with one of her modeling gigs, um, so her being around allows for another character that's like, explain everything to me, um, in a way that does not feel obtrusive for like Sakura to explain it to Mitsu. Yeah, and there's also a reoccurring character who's on the girls' team at the same school, and, um, yeah, each time she shows up, she's fun. And I think, oh, I wish we had more time. I wish we also had a series about the girls' gymnastics team. Uh, because, you know, I'd like more sports anime and manga about girls. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, at the, outs uh, at the outset of this manga, I thought it was going to be about Sakura and Mitsu, and they're going to be a competition. Like, it never even occurred to me that there was going to be team competition, even though I listened to the 30 for talked about the team competitions and women's gymnastics. Um, but I thought it was going to include her and uh, have them be all three individual gymnasts and do a bunch of cool stuff with uh, cool gymnast stuff with uh, three characters instead of all these men characters. Um, what I'm saying is I want more women's sports manga, uh, I think. That is deserved, just give us but... more sports manga in general, just more. Yeah, um, we are well past the days of like aim for the ace and attack number one, where women's women's sports manga seem to dominate. Because, uh, women's sports in Japan were better at the time. Uh, I guess I don't know how good Japan's uh, men's gymnastics team is, but they're supposedly good. Yeah, it's kind of funny since, like you said, the American women's gymnastics team is absolutely amazing. Simone Biles may be one of the greatest gymnasts gymnast to ever live at this rate and i guess it's kind of funny since i know that um the school i went to grad school so i had a good college women's gymnastics team and even when i was at school like in high school like our boys sports teams were kind of mid but like the girls basketball team was really good so 
yeah, that's another thing for me. It's like I keep expecting to see more women's sports manga because I've always just paid more attention to women's sports and the women's sports in my area have always been good. Like the DC men's soccer team kind of add the DC women's soccer team. Very good. Very, very good. <laughs> Got some of the world champs on the team, etc. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think all of the women's soccer teams in the U.S. have some of the world champs because there are only so many teams and uh, <laughs> all of them were very good. <laughs> And they are all so much more hardcore than the guys. No, none of that rolling around on the field when you think you've twisted an ankle. It's like running through nosebleeds, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. I do nice. wish stuff like Aim for the Ace was streaming somewhere, like on Retro Crush. Retro Crush and do it. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Or just go check to grab them. Uh, I watched the fan subs back in the day, and I still have them on my computer, and I'll continue <laughs> having them until... Um, you can tell someone gigs them and I'll delete them. Oh, unless they got corrupted when my hard drive exploded, but who knows? <laughs> Wait, literal explosion or metaphorical explosion? Metaphorical explosion. Okay, good, good. Yeah, that's the same for me and Macross. <laughs> it's like yeah. I'm keeping these. I have Touch, too, and I keep hoping for Touch, and, like, Disco Tech just announced Epo, so they can do it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this manga. I think this is a... Uh, a good sports manga that keeps you um, on the edge of your seat just because of how close the very high-level gymnastics competitions can be. Um, and I think the uh, the character dynamics of Mitsu and Sakura being basically polar opposites but on the same team and like learning from each other because of how polar opposite they are works really well. Um, yeah, again, it's very much a Kageyama-Hinata dynamic, although... If I remember correctly, like Mitsu, he started getting interested in competing in gymnastics after seeing Sakura. So he asked a friend, what school is he going to? And then sort of followed him there. And Sakura is like, what are you doing? You idiot. You didn't even know they had a gymnastics team. You just followed me anyway. Yep. And Mitsu's like, yeah, it's, it's a solo sport. It's not a team sport. I just want to practice with good people. And then people were like, no, this is a team sport. You're coming with us. Yeah. Um, I guess what I was most surprised about is like I did not expect uh, men's gymnasts to be so swole. Because uh, they have like the, uh, the parallel I mean, bars yeah, and uh, I've seen like how much effort it takes to do the rings. That's like doing a pull up and then continuing to do a pull up for like three minutes while yep. you're also like doing somersaults. Yeah, the, I can't the even rings, do a regular pull up. pull up. You need muscles for this. Yeah, I couldn't do a pull up when I was a kid, so I doubt I can do it now. No, all my muscles are in my legs, which makes pull ups very difficult. Oh, that's true. I mean, I guess I do run every so often, but it's not like I run very well or very, very fast or very long. So. I mean, you have the excuse right now, having lived in California during, like, wildfire season for right now, I mean. True. It's not like that's going to be helping anybody trying to exercise during this pandemic. Yeah. I did stop during the wildfires, and then I've just recently started up, and I used to be able to run pretty well for the entire mile, but now uh, I cannot do that. <laughs> the the lung capacity goes away very quickly. Mm-hmm, yep. But uh, yeah, if anybody is looking for a new manga to try, this one, it's... um. In the 70 chapter range, while we're talking about this, it comes out more or less weekly on Tuesdays. Uh, Manga Plus, unlike um, this is Shonen Jump app, does not have a chapter limit, so you can read more than 100 chapters a day. And this one I feel like would probably take you a couple of days. But yeah, just check it out if you're in the mood for some good boys gymnastics, you know, as you wait for that new anime to come out or in between episodes, you know, you, they're good boys, you can't go wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I read this all in a couple of days. Uh, I was, or... It was short going in the early going, and then I realized that I probably wouldn't have caught up if I didn't do some extracurricular reading outside of just before I fall asleep. Uh, so after work, I started reading I imagine reading you, like, reading under the covers now yeah. or, or something. <laughs> no, just after work, I started reading it. And, um, uh, I get sleepy, you know, 
And it's like 11 o'clock, I have 7.30 to go to work, or to walk to my desk now. I was going to say, you're going from your bedroom to the living room. Yeah, but, uh, I, I like to collect. Um, I am uh, constantly impressed by how many good things you read that I have not gotten around to, and I'm glad that uh, you exist uh, <laughs> to tell me to read things. I've just always been a voracious reader. Like, I saw somebody joking... Is anybody else regressing to, like, their weird gremlin teenage days during this pandemic? <laughs> and my answer was, not quite, but I am regressing to, like, those early college days where I would just binge, like, 500-page webcomics in a single afternoon. Like, wow. just th- some mistakes were made at the time. I stand by those mistakes. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm always happy to get more people reading the stuff I like because then I get to talk to people about it. And these are really good. And, like, even with the Viz app, with uh, most things that are super popular on there, it doesn't seem that they get talked about as much week to week as the anime does, um, or any anime adaptation of a uh, manga thing does. And now, when it's on Manga Plus, even though it's complete, completely free, you still don't see people talking about uh, any of them at all. And it's kind of sad, because I've read now read five things. Uh, three of them are definitely worth reading. Two of them are, like, you know, you can listen to podcasts for the full thoughts on those, but uh, uh, most of them are, are good, like, worth... I mean, I'm sure there's, like, really bad stuff on there, but we're not going to read those. We don't have to read those. And it's all free. Why don't people more read... Why don't more people read these things? I saw somebody say once that it seems like there are definitely subsets of anime-only watchers, manga-only readers... And then a smaller third group of anime watchers and major manga readers, like people who read more than just one thing every now and then. Mm-hmm. I think we both definitely fit into that third category. And I suspect even that sad- second category of people who read a lot of manga but don't watch a lot of anime, I, can- I don't think that group is as big as the anime-only watchers. Just since in all of my years of being online, I haven't seen as many people like that who are constantly talking about things. Like uh, the folks over at Manga Bookshelf, like, they read a lot of manga all the time. It is in their name yep. and don't seem to watch much anime. But outside of them and like maybe a couple of other bloggers, um, it, it just seems like either manga fans are less chatty because they're spending all their time reading or there's just not as many of them. Yeah. I mean, I think the IBS and the Buggy Minovsky article on Twitter that uh, do a lot of reading and don't do a lot of anime watching. I mean, we still do our fair amount of anime watching. Oh, God, I'm looking at that fall season upcoming and I'm like, well... I might be watching five shows, or I might be watching God knows how many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least we have the time now. There's no commute to uh, take us down for two and a half hours. Yeah, you were driving, and I was taking the Metro, which, I mean, in theory, I could watch something on the Metro, but the Metro's Wi-Fi is, oh man, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. Well, now Crunchyroll has the download option, so you can start doing that if we ever go to offices again. Yeah, took Crunchyroll long enough. Yeah, I wonder if that was a right issue. Who knows? Yeah, but anyway... Um, I like Moonland a lot. <laughs> you have anything else to say about Moonland before we close the episode? Yeah, I think I've reiterated that these are good characters, lots of fun tropes that sports manga fans will enjoy in here, good competition, pacing things work pretty well, um, no issues with it. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> no caveats. <laughs> yeah, even though they are like constantly in competitions and they seem to be doing nothing but training for competitions or doing competitions, it never feels... Uh, Who knows what these boys' grades are like? They are probably not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that has not come up yet, but it never feels uh, overwhelming or too long. Like, sometimes Ace of Diamond and Big Wind Up Dig, because that was all they... Uh, but 
at least so far, I've liked uh, the pacing of this one between uh, sports and not sports. Uh, but let's close this episode out. Where can we find you online, Helen? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at London Dreamer. You can find me writing quite a few reviews over for the OASG. You can find them on Twitter, at the OASG, where the website is theoasg.com. Don't know when you're going to put this episode up, so I don't know what relevant reviews I'll have up. Uh, uh, should be I in did, the next few days. I did joke to Justin that I had enough Yuri, Ma- Yuri manga that I wanted to do an unofficial Yuri week. And then some things I read turned out not to be Yuri, but things other people were reading turned out to be Yuri. So we were having an unofficial Yuri week for the first <laughs> week in October anyway. Is this like there will be a do? giveaway um, and just uh, lots of Yuri on there. And of course, you can also find me on Corey's other podcast. Well, one of his other podcasts. The one that's not about shoes. Uh, <laughs> manga in Your Ears. Find us on Twitter, at Manga in Your Ears. We're putting out episodes every other week. Like Corey said, we already did one about four um, series of Manga Plus. It all wrapped up relatively recently. Too good, too kind of questionable. I suggested all of them. Uh, I didn't think you guys were actually going to read the questionable ones. <laughs> we'll read anything that you tell us to read. This is why I try to include enough caveats when I recommend things so that you guys do read something. It's not actually my fault. It's like, <laughs> look, Tobits is weird. <laughs> I want your reaction, but Tobitz is weird. <laughs> well, for the questionable ones, I was ready to bail at any moment, but given how long they were, um, it just didn't seem worth it to uh, get out when the gittens were not good. I just imagine you like slowly sliding farther and farther away from your computer, just like getting ready to like close out the window. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my case, the iPad, yes. Getting ready to just mute that iPad onto the bed if things get weird. Yeah, flip the cover over. <laughs> Don't look! <laughs> uh, yeah, but you can find me on Twitter at CompassionateK. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Taiku Podcast. It's T-A-I-I-K-U. You can find all of our episodes over at TaikuPodcast.com. You can also find the episodes for Mugging Your Ears, which uh, the aforementioned podcast that Helen is also on, where we get our uh, other episode about the other Manga Plus stuff, uh, which I'll link to in the show notes. Uh, but thanks, Helen, for coming on, talking about uh, gymnastics. Not a problem. Anytime. of his his first batch of films are really short i do not remember the men who tread on tiger's tail being less than an hour long wow really yeah 59 minutes Mm, that is that is some high quality propaganda filmmaking right there hey the men who tread on tiger's tail is not propaganda it is not no i thought it was one of his earlier films it was but it was after the war after okay right after then right or yeah. yeah, he start if I rem- if you listen to our podcast, I believe I researched on it and it he started making it right after the bombs dropped. Okay. So okay, right before then or like right right after right after so when right like, after cuz when the bombs dropped mm-hmm. that was the end of the war. Yeah, when the American occupation started butchering all the movies they were turning at churning out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think this was one of those. Okay.
yeah, uh, the Wikipedia is pretty brisk. I'm sure Chris has more information, but uh, or had more information. He's now fallen out of his brain, as everything does. Yes. Uh, but the film was initially banned by the occupying Supreme Command of the Allied Powers due to its portrayal of feudal values. It was later released after signing the Treaty of San Francisco in 1952. <clears throat> there you go. I like barely remember that movie. Do yeah, you dropped it incorrectly. Yeah. What was I thinking of? I live in fear. No, I was thinking of No Regrets for Our Youth. Well, you named that one. You named No Regrets for Our Youth, um, One Wonderful Sunday, and then Men Who Tread on Tiger's Tail. I thought Men Who Tread on Tiger's Tail was about the college students, but now... The college students was No Regrets for Our Youth. No, I think the most beautiful one. Oh, whichever. But yeah, I Live in Fear, that was the big one about the bomb. I remember that one Uh, more than (laughs) Men Who Tread on Anyway, shall we begin? We're here to talk about Rhapsody in August. The Richard Gere movie. 